Good evening. And Merry Christmas. I was a little confused earlier today. I said, Alexa, what time is it? And she said, the time is 4.20, and happy eggnog day. <laughs> I don't know what eggnog day is. So later I said, Alexa, is it Christmas Eve? And she said, yes, Christmas Eve is celebrated on the 24th of December. So I'm glad that I'm in the right place at the right time. <laughs> so what makes Christmas real? My friend Lily asked me that question a few years ago. And I was shocked that as a theologian, the question startled me so much. Lily and her family immigrated to the United States from Ethiopia, and she was very confused about Christmas in America. In her tradition, Christmas wasn't celebrated in December. It was celebrated in January, on the day that, that most Western church folks know as the Feast of the Epiphany or Three Kings Day. And her gospel for, for Christmas wasn't the beautiful words that we heard tonight. You know those ones made famous by Linus in It's Christmas, Charlie Brown? Her, her gospel for Christmas was from Matthew, the one that some of you may have heard on For Advent. It started with Joseph trying to figure out to do, what to do with his pregnant fiancé and ended with the holy family fleeing for the life of baby Jesus and becoming refugees in Egypt. So she was a little confused about all the kind of festive Christmas stuff and the lights and the presents. And I tried to explain to her about like Northern Europeans coming from very dark places. And I tried to explain that short nights made for light darkness that you, you couldn't imagine, and so all the lights were to sort of push back that kind of darkness. And I tried to explain how, you know, the, the custom of generosity had arisen, and she looked at me skeptically and she said, I don't think St. Nicholas looks anything like Santa. And she asked that question, what makes Thanksgiving real? I was a little confounded, and I pondered that question a lot. And that question just brought more questions, okay? So how is Christmas real? And, and did I have a revelation about Christmas being real? And how, how does Christmas reality live out, get played out as I live out my life? But as I thought about it, I realized that Christmas became real to me really, really real. In the late summer of 2007, I was six months pregnant with my twins, and I woke up one morning feeling terrible. I took my big kids to school, and by the time I got home, I could barely hold my head up. So I called my sister, Adrienne, and she was coming off her shift at the hospital. She's a nurse. And I told her how I felt. She said, I'll be right there. She drove the 40 minutes to my house. She touched my hand and she said, I need two things. I need a thermometer and a name for the obstetrician on call at the hospital. It turned out I had a fever of about 103. And after my sister was done on the phone speaking in her nurse jargon, 
She said, we're going to the hospital and you're going to be admitted directly into the maternal fetal medicine ward. This was not how I planned to spend my day. But we got to the hospital and I was poked and prodded and stabbed. The doctors came in to my room and they said, Ms. Lucas, we think you have meningitis. We're worried that your twins may be affected or in distress. We're gonna do an emergency amniocentesis and if they are distressed or infected, we are going to do an emergency C-section. And I said, but they're not ready. And he said, we'll give them surfactant to help their lungs along and we'll be back. And he walked out of the room. Well, as he walked out of the room, someone came into the room and sat something inside the door. And I looked at my sister and I said, is that a crash cart? And my sister said, yeah. I said, they're expecting me to arrest. And she said, yeah. She said, sis, this is bad. They don't know if you're gonna survive. They don't know if the twins are gonna survive. And in that moment, I was filled with such terror. I was absolutely terrified. And after over a decade of ministry, three years of seminary, I could not pray. I couldn't find the words of any kind of prayer. But the good news is I grew up in the South. And if you grow up in the South, the old ladies will tell you when life gets too hard, just call his name. Just call his name. And so in that moment, I said, Jesus, 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 Jesus. I went on for about five minutes, Jesus, Jesus, please. And when I finally stopped talking, a voice spoke to my spirit and it said, it is well. Now, I was familiar with that hymn, it is well with my soul, I was familiar from my sojourn with the Methodists, about the story of Horatio Spafford and how he penned these verses after receiving news of the death of his four daughters when their ships sank. And I thought I knew what those words meant. I thought they were a promise. I thought they were a, a prayer, a prayer of hope in desperate times. But in that moment, I experienced those words as a promise. And it wasn't a promise that I would not have the ache of anxiety of seeing my twins struggle for their life in the NICU. It was not a promise that I would not be pierced by the agony of losing one or both of my twins. It wasn't even a promise of my own survival. It was a promise that I would suffer nothing, I would endure nothing, I would live through nothing alone because God was with me, and I got it. I got what David meant when he said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I understood what Paul was talking about when he said, I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities or powers or things present or things past or height or depth or anything will ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. 
I understood it. I felt it deep in my bones in the sense of peace. This irrational, crazy sense of peace filled me. And it wasn't the drugs, because they wouldn't give me any. <laughs> I wish I could say I carry that sense, that bubble of peace around with me all the time. But the truth is, I don't. I forget all the time that God is with me. I get stressed out. I get stressed out about having four kids and trying to figure out how they're going to go to college. I get stressed out about having a mom who is slowly becoming unable to live on her own and trying to support my sisters and supporting her, and she has no interest in being supported in this. I stay awake at night wondering about when the next school shooting is going to happen, and I'm frustrated because there seems so little political will to prevent the next school shooting. I get worried about those brown babies that I worked so hard to bring into the world up surviving their random encounter with a police officer. I despair over the state of our environment and what it will mean for the next generation. And I am haunted daily by statistics of breast cancer, which say recurrence happens in the first three years. And then I'm worried about really traumatizing things, like turning 50. <laughs> Seriously, y'all. But I forget that God is with us. We all forget because life is traumatic and difficult and real and pressing and hard. But Jesus knew this. Jesus knew it would forget, and he said to his disciples, you know what, guys, when I'm gone for your sight, from your sight, and you forget, you forget that I'm with you. I want you to gather yourselves together, gather around a table, take some bread and some wine, and remember what it felt like today. Remember what it felt like when I was as real to you as the nose on your face. Remember what it felt like when I put my hand in yours. And know that that's real. That I am with you always, even to the end of the ages. You see, this, this gift of Christmas, this gift of Emmanuel, God with us, is not just for me. It's not just for a sanctified few. It's for all y'all. It's for you. So if you're despairing, God is with you. And if you're desperate, God is with you. And if you're confused, God is with you. And in your doubts, God is with you. And in your despair, God is with you. Because God will never abandon you. That's what incarnation means. That's what makes Christmas real. The question is, now that you know yourself to be the recipient of this great gift, how then are you going to live your life? How will you live? I leave you with these words from one of my favorite theologians, Howard Thurman. When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, 
when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flock, the work of Christmas begins to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among all people, and to make music in your very heart. <laughs>